0: This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight we spoke with a pelvic floor physiotherapist to help you with that squeeze, hold and release of the Kegel exercise. Dr. Nick Withers joined us from the front lines of COVID-19. Ladies, I also will help you tonight get your sexual health in check. Hint, just do it why exercise may help your heart, and a giant thank you for being on my train. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. I am a registered nurse, Nurse Continence Advisor. They call me the vagina whisperer sometimes, actually, too. (laughs) It's true. Brendan's laughing. (laughs) Well, that area can often go unaddressed, quite frankly, and women have lots of issues, uh, not the least of which is leakage of urine, painful sex, A number of different intimate health issues. And uh, so joining me on the line is Cheryl Leah. She is a pelvic floor physiotherapist in Vancouver, British Columbia, who believes that in order to treat and empower someone, you need to get to know them for who they are beyond their muscles and bones. And uh, she helps me. I refer lots of my patients to her. She also does um, virtual visits as well. Good evening, Cheryl. Hello, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you doing? Good, good. Excellent, excellent. So, you do tremendous work uh, below the belt as well, pelvic floor (laughs) region. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. We're um, a good team. Yes, we certainly are. Something else that uh, women may experience is prolapse. So their bladder may fall down after the birth of a baby, or because of genetics or uh, the tissue integrity. Um, and and I just want to put the number out there. If you want to give us a call, the number to call is one eight seven seven. What is it? What's the number? Three nine nine. I'm nervous tonight. Brendan, can you help me out? I've forgotten the number one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight <laughs> okay one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight anyway, I was about to give my own phone number instead um right, don't do so that. that's the number no, I won't and yeah, I'll tell you a story about that later um so let's talk to me about kegel exercises, Cheryl, what exactly are they, and why are they important or pelvic floor muscle exercises? why are they important
1: so first of all, kegels are Basically, any exercise that uses the pelvic floor muscle. So it's, there's multiple different kinds. Um, and the pelvic floor is a pelvic bowl of muscles, consists of three layers. So you have a, a kind of outsider superficial layer, and that's kind of the squeezy layer. And then you have a lift layer, and then you have support layers. So you want to exercise all of them. And just like you would exercise any other muscle in your body, you, um, you need to do it now the pelvic floor the pelvic bowl of muscles are also i mean they have many many roles and as you mentioned one of them is like leaking or sphincters Um, but they're also a postural control muscle or stability muscle so they are working all the time otherwise we would literally fall over Um, and how does our balance system how does one do a kegel exercise what's the proper Uh, way to do it so you know they you know, very smart people do a lot of research and they say, I think it's up to 60% of women don't do Kegels correctly. And usually it's because women either do a squeeze action or they do a lift action and they don't do both. So a squeeze action is um, really like you're bringing your sit bones together and it's, it's not, they're not big movements. They're not moving bones like your biceps would um, with your elbow, but they're just kind of like squeezing, like you don't want to let out two drops of urine or three drops of urine, or you don't want to let out a little fart. So that's more of a squeeze action. And then the second part is a lift. And so you're lifting up. And again, the pelvic floor does not go up to your nose. It's a very little lift, um, but it's kind of that that pulling up feeling. So you have to do both. And when you're doing Kegel exercises, just like other muscles, um, you wanna strengthen them, but you also wanna make sure they stay long and flexible. They want to be able to contract fast. You want to be able to hold them up and you want to be able to slowly let them down. So this is what physiotherapists do with muscles all over the place. So it's the same principles apply to the pelvic floor.
0: And so would it be squeeze two, three, hold two, three, release
1: two, three? Kind of thing, you pull those uh, Yeah, that that would be one that you could do. And um, you know, you would definitely want to be able to so that's the squeezy part and you can do a squeeze and lift and then you can work with breath or you can um just do them on their own or you know, um so there's lots and lots of different variables. So if you, again, if you compared it to like your biceps, you could just do a bicep curl, but you're only going to, you know, just up and down, but you're only really going to work that particular action. So you still want to be able to go up slowly or up really fast with power, and then you want to be able to let them go slowly so that you've got some strength as it lets go. So there's a series of exercises that you would do for your pelvic floor like you would train you know, you want to have that power. You want to have that resistance. You want to have, be able to hold things for a long period of time, the endurance. Um, so, you you know, you can do six or seven rather simple exercises to meet all of those demands.
0: Okay. And so this is something that women should do daily, whether they have a problem or not, a problem with leaking of urine, for example, when they cough, sneeze, exercise, jump on the trampoline. <laughs>
1: You know, that is a million-dollar question, and it's probably the world-renowned researcher. Her name is Carrie Bowen, and she was asked just that question a while ago. And so do you have to do Kegels every day? Some people rarely ever do them and are fine. Now, I think that also depends on how many other physical activities they're doing. Like if they're playing sports and they're being active, they maybe not. Maybe they do. So I wouldn't say there's a magic answer because we really don't know that answer. And do, I would suggest that, you know, everybody should feel, um, get to the point where they know that it's pretty umfy, and then they can decide what the frequency that, you know, they can kind of check in and what the frequency should be after that.
0: Right. And, and is it 100% effective for stress urinary incontinence when people leak with um, coughing and sneezing and um,
1: exercise and jumping? So there's... For stress urinary incontinence is usually two different reasons why so if you're going to cough or sneeze um, you're trying to excel or just you know you're trying to get stuff out of your lungs with a lot of force and often what happens is there's a kind of a gripping around the diaphragm and it bops down onto the bladder so we train people to actually pick up their pelvic floor and help with that cough and sneeze so the bladder is just staying in the middle without getting getting their head bopped on. So that's a different reason than like running and jumping because then there's a poor coordination or responsiveness between usually your inner thighs and your outer cheek muscles of your butt. And so we have to train that perspe- that piece of it. So there's usually two different reasons why the outcome is that basically urine comes out when you don't want it to.
0: Exactly. It can be a very embarrassing and distressing situation. Um, but it's not just women who may leak urine or who require Kegels. In fact, it's uh, probably felt that, that, is, um, it's only, uh, that leakage of urine only affects women because most of the marketing has been uh, heavy, heavily or very pink-centric, shall we say, yeah. in terms of the pads. Um, but do men, should men do Kegels as well, um, and why is it important for men?
1: Well, men have pelvic floor issues. What they don't have is that that third hole, of the vagina, for organs to fall out. But they you know, they still have pelvic floor concerns. And the other, you know, like we're talking about the roles of the pelvic floor. So sphincters, I mean, it's urinary, but it's also bowel. Um, and there's also sexual function, hugely, hugely important, as you know. Um, so men that have pelvic floor issues, definitely post prostate surgery or prostate issues, they can have leaking. But they all. it also shows up with very young men also with erectile dysfunction or it, shows, it could show up as IBS, um, irritable bowel syndrome. Definitely any kind of pain there or, um, you know, things don't seem to go right and men have the same issues with women as as um, when things don't feel right or they're not comfortable with themselves the desire and sex is lower their interest in sex is lower because they just feel things aren't quite right or not working well for them so yes men have pelvic floors too and um, it shows up sometimes a little differently but um, they're definitely just as impactful and, On people's lives, And
0: yeah. so, and they, uh, Kegel exercises may be effective for them as well with leakage of urine. It may be one of a number of different treatments for leakage of urine post prostatectomy.
1: Definitely, yes. And, and posture, because we talked about posture being a um, key component of what the pelvic floor does. So just we teach people how to use their body movements and their postures to help. So the pelvic floor automatically comes in and kicks, them, kicks in to help it, out, um, rather than just always having to control and tighten the, tighten the pelvic floor muscles. We want it to be responsive.
0: Right. And something else I wanted to mention was, uh, which I've been trying to mention in the last several weeks and I keep forgetting, uh, overactive bladder, frequency, urgency, and nocturia. Um, and so there's something called quick kegels in addition to many other uh, treatments such as um, managing water-based fluids and ensuring one is not constipated and also stopping preventive peeing so don't go to the bathroom every time you leave the house and get to the office and get on the bus and whatever Um, so but what about those quick kegels
1: for um, overactive bladder you know, when someone comes in, they tell me that they've got an urgency issue, right? So then I think you we go back to look at all of the different roles of the pelvic floor, and just as you said, we look at all the different things is it constipation, is, is it whatever? One of the, you know, and if there's a pathology involved, I mean, so if they have interstitial cystitis or something else, that can be a very different scenario. But often it is that people just develop a habit of peeing all the time. And so their bladder and their brain are talking to each other and saying, oh, guess what? I'm just a little bit full. I better go pee again. We have, you know, we just get people to, to basically measure and count their P's and we kind of go through a behavioral um, uh, change or just, you know, make some modifications. So, and definitely, you know, if you're walking the key in the door syndrome, right? Where you put your key in the door and you're going, oh my God, i got to run down the hallway. So we teach people is, when is it time to contract? When is it time to let go? How does, you know, what's, what's the response that the brain and the bladder can work at to change that behavior or change that habit? So there's lots and lots of different reasons why, and I wouldn't want to say you know just doing a quick Kegel is going to answer it because we have to go look at all of the different factors um, and figure out really what is going on. And sometimes it's really, really quite simple, and sometimes it takes a little bit more digging into it. And it's important to get that treatment for uh, leakage of urine because
0: there is an associated risk of falls and ultimately fractures, especially uh, for
1: people who have osteoporosis um, so, uh, this is absolutely, definite. absolutely. So that, that was my previous career. I worked for 15 years in fall prevention or 10 years within fall prevention with older adults. And interesting enough that, you know, we would get people to do exercises to prevent them from falling, which are balance exercises. And they'd come back and they'd be tittering and, and giggling saying, Oh my goodness, I feel my balance is so much better and I'm not peeing my pants anymore. Absol- so it shows where there's that link between the balance and pelvic floor and, The responsiveness
0: of it. Right, exactly. And lots of people get up at night to go to the bathroom, whether the bladder wakes them or when they wake up, they go to the bathroom. And so then um, they can have a risk of falls as well. Exactly. Yeah. So that urge suppression or that uh, quick Kegels, as I like to say, can be very effective um, if you have overactive bladder. Cheryl, thank you so much. It's been delightful speaking to you and thanks for all the information. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. We certainly will. You know what? Ask and you shall receive has applied here. I asked you to send me your questions about coronavirus or COVID-19 and how it's affecting your life and you have provided for me. So I have lots of your questions to uh, discuss with the doctor who is going to be joining me very shortly. We're also going to be talking about uh, how to improve your sexual health, ladies, and why exercise is important for your heart health. Uh, But joining me on the line is Dr. Nicholas Withers. He is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of British Columbia. Faculty. Faculty of Medicine, a 22 year veteran of the Canadian Armed Forces, Dr. Withers is a partner and owner of 24 7. Occupational and Emergency Medicine Solutions, where he provides COVID-19 screening services for remote industries such as diamond mines. His team has been closely involved with the screening and management of some 6,000 employees over the past six months. Recognized as an expert in the field, he has been a consultant with the Legislative Assembly of Ontario as well as Office of the Auditor General of Ontario. I have personally worked with Dr. Withers for almost five years on another project and am delighted, as usual, to him to the show. Good evening, Dr.
2: Withers. Good evening, Maureen. How are you? I'm
0: fine, thanks. How are you doing? I'm um, great, thanks. Uh, well, thanks for joining the program. We're just going to start out with the questions. Uh, here you go, that I've received. And if you have a question, email me, at com or give us a call, one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. 399 9898 So here's the first one. My wife is a teacher, and the kids aren't wearing masks in the recess yard. How at risk is my wife for COVID-19 if a child in another classroom were to test positive?
2: Well, Maureen... Children have sort of surprised us, whereas for you know basically every other disease that we know, children are a huge reservoir and spread it readily. So far, the data seems to suggest that children aren't quite as susceptible to COVID-19 and maybe don't spread it as much as we initially thought they may. That said, of course, kids can, can spread the disease. So don't say that, oh, kids can't get COVID, because they absolutely can, and uh, they certainly can spread it. But um, I think it's not quite as uh, scary as we would normally think, because let's just think about it when we had young kids ourselves, You know, they seem to be sick constantly, and of course, then making their siblings sick or their parents sick. So we're so used to them passing on things like, you know, the old coronavirus, which caused the common cold and things like that, not this novel one. So it's a little bit surprising that this one isn't doesn't seem to be quite as contagious or or pass through children. Now, that said, of course, once you get a positive case... Uh, then you would want to look at what the exposure profile would be. Now, in this particular question, you talk about them being outside in the recess yard. And frankly, that's the best place for kids to be and uh, for all of us to be in many respects when it comes to COVID-19, because the COVID does not get passed nearly as well outside because, of course, the normal uh, physical distancing and just the the purely the volume of air that dilutes any COVID that gets expressed when we breathe or talk or yell or shout. So I would say if they're in another classroom and they test positive that, you know, you'd want to do a very detailed uh, contact tracing and individual risk assessment. But generally, I wouldn't get too excited about that, um, recognizing that, yeah, you certainly would want to do, you know, a a full investigation of the school just to see where it could have been passed in other settings.
0: Thank you. And, and what about this, that, that kids are shorter and so therefore the respiratory droplets will hit the ground faster and so that contributes to less transmission?
2: Well, that's an interesting concept, and actually one I haven't heard of. But it, it actually makes sense from a you know a pure physics perspective and from a science perspective uh, that in fact, uh, yeah, if if unless of course they do what kids do, which is sneeze or cough, and somehow they seem to want to spray it everywhere in which case they turn their heads up or left or often right in your face, at least when you're a physician. So uh, certainly it, uh, that would make sense that you know that maybe the droplets would hit the ground sooner. But uh, I don't know if I'd take my chances there.
0: We, we've got to give the teachers every comfort measure possible. Um, here's another question. Dear Maureen, my work is offering free flu shots. Why should I get one this year? I've never had one in the past.
2: Uh, and that, that is one of those topics that we tackle with all the time. And, and for the vast majority of people are right. You know, I never get a flu or not the vast majority. The people that don't get flu shots say I never get the flu. Um, and, you know, thankfully, most of us do not get the flu. Uh, because it is a very serious serious illness, and uh, for those that have had it, they know they get feverish, achy, cough. They actually feel like heck, and it's not like, oh, I can work through it. It's usually for a week or 10 days they're going to be down and out. So personally, you know, as a, uh, a 49-year-old man, I get a flu shot every year, even though I have no other chronic health conditions, just because I think there's a, a lot of protection in the flu shot. Is it perfect? No, it isn't. I wish, we, I wish it was. I wish it was good as some of the other vaccines. But unfortunately, this nasty little virus mutates from year to year, and we can't always guess which way it's going to mutate. But um, I think it's, uh, it is a good protection, and particularly this year with COVID, uh, because the last thing you want to do is end up with a febrile respiratory illness, meaning that you have a fever and a cough, runny nose or throat Because, first of all, everybody's going to assume it's COVID. And secondly, if you were to get sick or get hospitalized, then, of course, you're going to take up a very valuable hospital space that may be needed for others. So I think it's really, really important that even if you've never had a flu shot before, that this year, in our effort to maintain as much potential uh, hospital capacity as possible, that pretty much everybody get a flu shot, uh, at least this year, to do our best to try to protect ourselves and to try to keep the hospitalizations to a minimum.
0: And and we're going to be talking about co- comorbidities shortly, but um, what about the risk of getting COVID-19 on top of, of the flu if you have not had the flu shot? I mean, the flu shot's not 100%, but it does provide some protection, as you said. Um, yeah. What is the risk of that? Is that a bit of a worry for people?
2: So that, that's actually a really interesting question, and one that I thought, um, you know, I would say, oh, well, maybe you can get both together. And certainly we know you can get, um, when you have... Um, when you have COVID, you can certainly get a second infection. About 20% would get some sort of a bacterial infection or otherwise. But it's interesting that when you get a viral infection or really any infection, your body actually secretes something called interferon. And it seems to prevent the second infection. Now, we don't know for sure. We don't have enough data on COVID-19 because let's face it, it's not even a year old. It, it hasn't had its first, first birthday yet. Mm-hmm. But Um, You know, it's very interesting for sure to think about that, but we don't think you're going to get uh, sort of COVID with influenza, but I think that would certainly be a nasty, uh, very, very nasty combination. And and one thing, um, Maureen, I listened to a podcast on a website called StimulusPodcast.com, and it was about the COVID vaccine. Uh, by a world-renowned uh, vaccinologist, pediatrician, uh, the gentleman who actually created the children's rotavirus vaccine. And uh, it's very, very enlightening. I I recommend your listeners to maybe uh, take a quick listen to that. It's a great podcast.
0: I'll listen to it as well. I have another question for you here. My son plays soccer at a university, and someone on his team tested positive for COVID-19. He was not contacted by public health, but the coach wants the team to quarantine for 14 days. Is this right?
2: That is a, a tough one. And again, it's one of those... Situations where you really need to look at the individual risk exposure, how much they'd been together at that time, whether it was all outside, you know, whether, you know, they'd been sharing water bottles or maybe been out at a house party the night before. All those sorts of things need to be looked at. Um, But certainly, I think when you're looking at varsity sports, it's almost like being in the military. It's sort of a higher risk um, sort of contact because they're very tight collegial groups or traveling together on buses. so I think that in many respects, it's probably uh, prudent, but again, without having all the details, it's hard for me to provide a, a definitive response. Right,
0: to that. because how it works is if you test positive for COVID-19, public health gets that result, um, and they would commence the contact tracing which you mentioned earlier and so they would talk to you about what contacts you'd had in the 48 hours prior to when you became symptomatic if you became symptomatic Um, and so is this out of an abundance of caution do you think but but I can appreciate the close contact of of people playing uh, sports Um, but is it really in the hands of the public health officials and and are they doing the job they should be doing?
2: Well, I think that's been a challenge in some jurisdictions, as we've seen with Quebec with over a thousand infections per day, Ontario and the 800 plus, that frankly, contact tracing is no longer possible, which is why we're probably starting to see these spikes. So that is the issue. Was proper contact tracing through public health actually done or performed or not? Because if it wasn't performed, then I think the coach is certainly well within, uh, you know, it's quite reasonable to just say, hey, we're just going to quarantine and try not to spread it to anybody else. However, if contact tracing was done, I think it's obviously prudent to follow the advice of the public health experts.
0: I just got a message from somebody that said, Oh my gosh, that Dr. Withers, what a great guest on your show. He makes so much sense and congratulations for hitting the East coast. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, and Dr. Withers is a colleague and friend <laughs> of Absolutely. mine. We have worked together. Um, and we've had some great times.
2: And <laughs> hope Any- to work together again.
0: Yes, we certainly will for sure. Uh, um, um, so I wanted to talk about this CDC um, warning that um, that there may be serious implications for people who are obese. Now, this is a big issue in the UA- U.S., and it's certainly becoming an issue here in Canada. Uh, in the U.S., 40% of, of adults are obese and another 32% are simply overweight. And this warning around the impact of coronavirus also affects people who are simply Overweight, And we measure that uh, with a BMI. So what's, what's with that, Dr. Withers? And, and uh, what should people who are overweight or obese do?
2: Well, I mean, I think, first of all, you know, nobody actually chooses to be obese or overweight. I mean, it's a very challenging and complex condition. And, you know, so, uh, you know, what we'd always like to say, of course, as physicians, oh, well, well, just go lose weight or, you know, just do this. It's almost like when we speak to people with uh, alcohol use disorder. Well, why don't you just stop drinking? Well, it's a little bit more complex than that. So, obviously, we do want to see people be as fit and healthy as possible. And uh, certainly, we're learning more and more about weight loss. Uh, Certainly, fad diets, things like that uh, don't seem to maintain weight loss although they do work for individuals so you know if something's work or working for you please continue it but it is definitely a very complex problem and obviously an epidemic that we've seen both uh in the u.s and of course in canada as well so it is it's a really challenging uh, issue maureen and particularly when you know gyms are now closed well they are sometimes closed depending on what province you're in that people are sometimes a little bit reluctant to get out there and of course now the canadian winter is coming which uh, makes it that much harder to exercise and of course when you are stuck in your house you're dealing with the mental health challenges that come along with isolation Uh, a lot of people will turn to food so you know certainly I think turning to healthy or more uh, lower calorie um, alternatives, fruits, vegetables that sort of thing is certainly a good choice but um, you know and of course being as active as possible, I heard on the run in that you were going to talk about the positive impact of exercise on sexual health and certainly uh, whether and the, I know it's for uh, women that you'll be speaking about but certainly for men as well there's nothing more important as far as I can see is, than exercise if there is one sort of intervention or medication i could prescribe it definitely would be exercise both for people's physical and mental well-being
0: I couldn't agree with you more. And um, you're absolutely correct. Obesity is a complex medical condition that does require uh, a multidisciplinary team uh, to treat. And people don't realize that. They feel they have shame. They're embarrassed about it. But there's genetic components. um, And there's also, uh, there may be, as you say, emotional eating and other factors, which is why it's not just a medical approach. It's a psychological approach, behavioral strategies as well. This is a respiratory virus, uh, coronavirus or COVID-19, is that the reason that people who are obese um, may have more difficulty because of the impact on the diaphragm and the ability to actually um, breathe?
2: I think that can be a challenge when they become um, significantly ill. Um, So, particularly if they need, you know, hospitalization, ICU, ventilation, that becomes far more complex uh, for basically any uh, procedure, whether it's COVID-19 or just your general surgery. um, It becomes a lot more difficult if people have a lot more, you know, adipose tissue. And, um, you know, that can also just be the mechanical effects of where you're trying to ventilate somebody. But, you know, there may be 50, 70, sometimes 200 pounds of adipose tissue on their chest. So you can imagine the pressures that are required to lift that every time and, and, and just basically becomes, yeah, much more difficult from an intensive care perspective. And interestingly, the uh, study that came out did show, uh, you know, that the COVID-19 rates, uh, risk of getting COVID-19 was 46% higher. Hospitalization, if you did get it, was 113% higher with a 74% increase in ICU admissions and, uh, horribly, a 48% increase in death.
0: It's just—it's just shocking, really. It's just unbelievable and quite frightening.
2: It is extremely frightening, and you know, uh, it is—it's uh, so tough to figure out. Okay, how can we do this? But you know, frankly, I think one of the things we need to do is start with our children,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and we need—we need to limit the screen time. They can't have an iPhone or a iPad in their in front of their face, you know. Eight, ten, twelve hours a day when they 're not at school, and we know that school's limited right now, so if we we know if kids are active that it will be uh, much more likely that they will remain active as adults, so you know for many of your listeners i 'm sure have children, and that will be really, really important and Now that I actually have the podium for a second, the only other one thing I would say is, please do not let your kids have their smartphones or their iPhones in their bedroom at night. <laughs> exactly. It is the worst thing You're you can the let them do. Anyway, but I'll digress, I digress on that. That's right. Uh, but I think, you know, for our folks, yeah, for your listeners, it's really important to get as active as possible. Try to lose that, you know, 5 pounds, 10 pounds a year, and just st- try to get, you know, steady at that. It doesn't need to be 100 and 120 pounds at one time. It can be, you know, 5 pounds, 10 pounds. Set your goals. Make them realistic. And uh, you know, don't feel guilt or shame if you have you know, one night where things don't go as well. It just means that the next day you need to get back on uh, on your program. That's
0: right. Dr. Withers, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you more on the Sunday Night Health Show.
2: Thanks, Maureen. Have a great night.
0: They also call me a sexpert. bird. <laughs> well. That's another name. I have lots of names. Somebody that I work with said, is it all right if I call you Mo? I said, Sure. But I prefer Boston because he called me Boston (laughs) last week. Anyway, I like that name. Call me whatever you like. I don't mind. Anyway, um, uh, so sexual health, so important. And, you know, so many women were not educated properly about sexuality and sexual health and, in particular, pleasure. So I just want to talk to you about how and why you deserve a good sex life and uh, good sexual health as well. You want your sex life to be robust if that's what you want. Um, So it's very important um, that we discuss topics like sex and perimenopause and menopause and pregnancy and postpartum and breastfeeding because all of those times in life may impact your Uh, Sex life. If you have a question for me, the number to call is 1 877 399 9898. That's 1 877 399 9898. I got it right that time, right, Brendan? Yeah, you got it right. (laughs) I did. I was thinking of something else before. Multitasking in the mind. Um, you know, it's very important to speak up about issues that you are having, whether you go to your physician or a specialist, uh, a midwife, a nurse practitioner, a nurse continence advisor, sexual health clinician. So if you are experiencing things like discomfort or painful sex or bleeding, you want to go and see your doctor. There's a number of different issues you may have. You, it could be uh, fibroids. Um, it could be uh, that you're having uh, vaginal dryness. Um, you can have um, pelvic pain that may actually be endometriosis. One in 10 women suffer from endometriosis. Um, there's a surgery now for that condition. Uh, so it's very important to, to speak up, and, and especially about low sexual desire, which is such a common issue. It affects about 38% of women, but get this only about 12% are bothered by it. Um, but, you know, I think that relates in part to the fact that women have been poorly educated about sex I do want to mention we did have a winner we do have a listener from Ontario <laughs> who won no we had like 6,900 calls right Brendan the, uh, oh Yes, <laughs> at least. Anita won. So thanks for listening, Anita. Um, but, you know, there again, you know, bringing sex toys in, self-stimulation, afternoon delight, taking care of yourself, understanding that sex is mutual is also very important. So not only speaking up to your physician is important, but it's also speaking up in the bedroom or wherever you choose Um To do the dirty deed, but anyway, but speaking up in your relationship, uh, and so it's important that the relationship has a healthy power balance, and that. Uh, Sex is mutual and sex is consenting for you as well. Um, So again, you know, understanding about pleasure that is sex is not dirty. A lot of women have received negative messages about um, sex, of course, for women who have been sexually assaulted or raped or abused um, would have a very different response to um, sex. It can often be very triggering for uh, women, understandably so. Uh, because it is such a trauma, uh, so but it it is if you are in a loving, healthy relationship, and you certainly can have a loving, healthy relationship even after trauma such as that. It will take some work. It will take um, therapy for many. It's a lifelong journey. Uh, it's something you learn to um, live alongside, um, and uh, but there certainly um, are opportunities and. Um, intimacy uh, can be part of your life, and and it's important to enjoy yourself in a relationship. And what you experience during intimate moments, and how you feel about yourself as a sexual being, remember, begins in your head. And you know, I I get lots of messages from people, and sometimes they, you know, I might forget to email back, or you know, I might forget to whatever, and they just sort of automatically. Ha- and it's just that I'm blonde. There's no other reason. And they might, but they might be you know like the it's like, just still going to happen or there's sort of this negative connotation that that they're not good enough and you know what you are good enough and and remember that but sexual wellness takes brain power and you know if i've said it once i've said it a thousand times confidence is the sexiest thing ever and so be confident believe in yourself love yourself be yourself you're okay you know look in that mirror like you know i'm good and i'm smart and doggone it i like me and and you know it's important to enjoy yourself, especially in the bedroom or in your intimate relationships, because that is empowering as well. It's also uh, very important for you to understand your screenings, your your health screening. So for example, cervical cancer is the most preventable and treatable type of pelvic cancer because we can screen for it with pap smears. But many women don't understand what a pap smear is for, how important it is. Screening tests are so important and so if you don't understand why something is done, ask the question by all means. And you know have a good relationship or good rapport with your physician or your nurse practitioner, or your healthcare provider, so that it's comfortable, that you don't feel any embarrassment or any shame because sex is still taboo. Even though we live in the highly sexualized world, it is still a uh, taboo uh, subject. So... All of this is critical in terms of uh, enjoying yourself and, and, you know, not being ashamed. There's definitely a double standard for sex around um, men, for men and women. Uh, men are applauded uh, for their sexual prowess uh, and uh, and women are shamed. And women are shamed by men and women are shamed by other women as well. And And so we really need to, you know, take a page out of men's books and really, truly actually support other women. I don't see it so often as many people would like to believe. The whole sisterhood thing is okay as long as I'm winning, as long as I'm getting the great job, as long as I'm getting the amazing guy, as long as I'm getting the fabulous partner, as long as I'm getting um, you know the big house or whatever, as long as things are going my way for me. Um, We don't tend to have that joy, that, that authentic joy and happiness for somebody else when things go their way. But you know what? When somebody else light shines light shines and you are happy for them, that will come back to you in spades. I promise you. That's what I believe anyway. um, It's very important to take time for yourself, whether it be sitting on a park bench alone. Women are busy today in their lives and there's a chronic busyness syndrome that goes on. So I often recommend to women to sit by yourself for an hour a day, do nothing, just reflect. Maybe you can take a bath, light some candles Uh, enjoy yourself have some afternoon delight by all means grab a womanizer it is the best and you know womanizer used to be associated with pain and we've reclaimed that word ladies now it's associated with pleasure incredible pleasure it provides multiple orgasms uh, for women as one 80 year old patient of mine who I prescribed it for her no she actually asked me if she was too old you are never too old for a womanizer or a vibrator or a sex toy um, that you would enjoy honestly like they, they It's ridiculous to think that something has an expiry date like you. Um, You should not feel that you have an expiry date. And so any time is wonderful. So she said, am I too old for a womanizer? I said, absolutely not. So she texted me later. And she said, worth every penny. So I often prescribe this. And, you know, it's good to take time for yourself, whether you self-stimulate. I wrote a blog just recently. It should be posted this week about this patient of mine who said that her husband, You know, he said, You had the bedroom door locked, and I, and what's that about? I don't, I don't know why you would lock me out. And uh, she was taking time to herself uh, with her womanizer in tow. Uh, But, you know, they didn't have the conversation, they didn't have that communication between them. And and sex toys can certainly enhance a loving relationship as well. So, by all means, bring them into the bedroom with you. Um, If you, but, you know, they will not replace human touch. I I will say that no sex toy can ever do that, but it certainly can can help with, with mood and stress and sleep. And, and, you know, lots of people are stressed these days, especially given the pandemic that we're living in. This wearing of mask things is getting pretty old, <laughs> I will say. But I am abiding by that and washing my hands and staying away from people having meetings outside. <laughs> And I have the best collection of rain gear you have ever seen in your entire life. And so, you know, may I suggest that go for a walk with your lover, go for a walk by yourself. You are just as important. Um, Pleasing yourself is just as important as pleasing anybody else. I want to talk about exercise, um, which is so important. And next week joining me on the program is Dr. John Beisler. He's a cardiologist who's been on the program before. Um, But exercise is so important in so many ways. It's important for your mental health. Sexual health and also decreases heart attack risks and risk, and it protects your heart in the event that you have a heart attack. And this is largely due to uh, the gas nitric oxide that is produced inside the body that activates chemical pathways that relax your blood vessels and then allow the blood to flow so much better. And for hearts, it triggers a survival pathway, but for sex, it actually helps with erections. And so nitric nitric oxide is also very important um, for your erections. And when you're in your 20s, you have 100% nitric oxide uh, to help your blood vessels relax and for the blood to flow. And as you head into your 30s, um, about an eighty percent nitric oxide, and the the arteries start to thicken. And then in your forties, you have about a fifty percent nitric oxide, and that's when you get inflammation and plaque buildup. And so, what this effectively means is, as you age, your arteries get smaller and smaller, so the blood can't flow as well. That's why it's important to eat healthy, low glycemic index diet. The one I prescribe is uh, it's I call it the All In Diet. Email me if you'd like a copy of it. Um, and when you get into your fifties the um, nitric oxide decreases to 35%. And that's when the walls of your arteries start to stiffen, but your penis won't um, because the, uh, that's about blood flow. <laughs> okay. Time for a stiff drink um, because nothing else is happening down there. Uh, and you also get a calcium buildup as well. And then when you get to 60 and plus, um you actually have a fifteen percent nitric oxide, and that's when your heart attack risk increases and so um the you know it it's important to live as healthy as possible because you're having these changes to your blood vessels, and so um that's why keeping. Uh, yourself exercising will actually help your blood vessels to relax. It will help your blood to flow. It will help your nitric oxide levels and other uh, neurochemical, uh, uh, chemical transmitters uh, to help things, um, move along and uh, work effectively and that that's something else that people often don't understand how the sexual response cycle works um, and perhaps we'll address that next week um, so if you don't know how things are supposed to work and that's not your fault that is in large part due to poor sexual health education but all of this is tied together you know this is um, and that's not a bad idea either to spice up your sex life a <laughs> um, lot lots of people uh, BDSM is becoming mainstream But, you know, the exercise is related to your mental health, is related to your sexual health, is related to your nutritional health. It's like a concert. And so it's important to take care of all of that. You're on this planet for a brief time, really. And you might as well take as good care as possible um, of yourself so that you can engage in life. Because life is certainly to be enjoyed, not endured. And so... To that end, I wanted to read you a little uh, something I I saw on Facebook that I thought was lovely. The author is unknown, although I wish I had written it, Um, but I think lots of people can relate to it. Uh, At birth, we boarded the train and met our parents, and we believed that they would always travel by our side. As time goes by, other people will board the train, and they will be significant. For example, they'll be our siblings, our friends, our children, strangers, and even the love of your life. However, at some station, our parents will step down from the train, leaving us on this journey alone. Others will step down over time and leave a permanent vacuum. Some, however, will go unnoticed that we don't realize they vacated their seats. This train ride will be full of joy joy. Sorrow, fantasy, expectations, disappointments, hellos, goodbyes, and farewells. Success consists of having a good relationship with all passengers requiring that we give the best of ourselves. The mystery to everyone is we do not know at which station we ourselves will step down. So we must live in the best way, love, forgive, and offer the best who we are of who we are. It is important to do this because when the time comes for us to step down and leave our seat empty, we should leave behind beautiful memories for those who will continue to travel on this train of life. I wish you a joyful journey for the coming years on your train of life. Reap success, give lots of love, and above all else, be happy. More importantly, thank your higher power, your God, whomever, for the journey. And lastly, I would like to thank you, Toronto and everyone from across Canada for being one of the passengers on my train. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.